You're listening to your superpowered mind on the Superpower Up podcast, the show that investigates the innate power within your brain to create lasting change. Hi, everyone. Welcome to your superpowered mind. I'm your host, Kristen Maxwell. And in this show, we explore the process of transformation and give you tools and strategies that you can use to transform your own life. Today, we're going to be talking to Dr. Achina Stein about why addressing gut brain health is critical in any self-improvement plan. Dr. Stein is a board-certified osteopathic physician who is also a psychiatrist. After working in mental health for over 20 years, while also teaching as an associate clinical professor at Brown University, Dr. Stein shifted into functional medicine. Dr. Stein is now the co-owner of Functional Mind, where she uses functional medicine to help patients find the underlying causes of illness and the nutritional and biochemical imbalances that contribute to them. Dr. Stein, welcome to your superpowered mind. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, very excited to share what you know about about mental health and its connection with the gut. So I'm so glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Sorry, go ahead. I said I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thanks. So my first question is always, what superpower did you uncover as the result of mastering your mind? Well, uh, the superpower that I uncovered, I guess, is best explained that in order to heal the mind, you have to heal the gut. Um, That is something that I discovered, not necessarily for my mind, but for my son's mind um, when I was practicing as a as a conventional doctor, and he became very ill. He experienced a pretty severe depression overnight and uh, couldn't really figure out why. And um, after getting him to a psychiatrist and, you know, getting him treated and stabilized, I needed to figure out, well, why did this happen? You know, I just was floored by it because it just came out of nowhere. And uh, I realized after doing research and talking to people and serendipitously coming upon a functional medicine provider, uh, found out, long story short, that he ended up having some severe food sensitivities, particularly gluten, dairy, and soy. And his journey began by removing foods uh, from his diet that ultimately started the journey to decreasing inflammation um, in his gut. And once his gut started getting better, his brain started getting better. And consequently, he has done very, very well. And uh, he has not been on medications for a number of years. This happened back in 2010. So he's been doing very well, very happy and off medications. And so once I saw that, I just knew I had to do things differently. Because once you learn what you learn, you just can't go back. Uh, That doesn't mean to say I don't practice conventional medicine. I do prescribe medications when it's absolutely necessary, but I have more tools in my toolbox now. Right. 
That is truly amazing. And I, you know, one of the reasons why I'm so happy to talk to you is I've had some similar situations with my own family with a child who was very depressed and had food sensitivities. And I remember, because I have depression that's always run in my family, being floored that gut health and then also um, insufficiencies in supplements or, you know, in certain minerals and all of that sort of stuff could actually contribute to depression. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, what I, one, one thing that I discovered is what we call the five R's and that is your, and you're probably familiar with the five R's. So removing what's causing inflammation, replacing what's missing from your body, because when there's inflammation in the gut, you're not going to absorb all of the nutrients, the vitamins, the minerals, and um, the phytonutrients that your body needs in order to function on a cellular level and do the, the work that it needs to do, particularly providing energy to all the cells, including the brain, you know, then. So, mm-hmm. and then there's re-inoculating the gut lining with probiotics and bringing the microbiome back into balance and then repairing the gut uh, after you remove the inflammation. So it's sort of like when you, when a house is burning, you have to put out the fire first before you can start rebuilding. So it's really important to do, you could do all of those phases in, in concert or one after the other, but ultimately you do have to go through all the phases, but the final phase is rebalance. It's figuring out what went wrong in the first place that caused this to happen. And it's really looking back at your history and it could be biological, psychological, or physiological. It, it could be, you know, a combination of those things that come together that creates a perfect storm for people. So it's really important to rebalance and bring the body back into balance and, and in order to maintain whatever you've achieved through that healing process. Yes. So, you know, one of the questions that comes to mind then is, you know, we have all of the, um, uh, you know, the pills, the Prozac and all of that stuff to help with depression and anxiety. How do they fit in with this um, addressing the system approach? Well, you know, a lot of times the people that come to see me, uh, have been on one antidepressant or another or a combination of uh, medications and either they get some relief or no relief or that relief is not long lasting or they have side effects or both. And so the people that come to see me are the ones that really, you know, find ha- are trying to find other solutions other than taking medications. And, but there are, there are situations where, you know, medications do save lives. I mean, you really, I I can't tell you how many times people have actually wanted to not take medications and have come to me and we do, you know, this or that, you know, the five R's and try to address the stress. There's, we we address foods, we address chronic infections, um, stress um, and toxins and hormones and, Sometimes those things don't happen fast enough because these issues 
take time to uncover and address. It takes months and sometimes years, depending on how, how deep and, you know, severe and how long these problems have been going on. So I am forced sometimes to start medications just to keep them functioning while we are trying to figure out the root causes and the underlying causes and bringing back the body into balance. So, and then once we do that, then we can taper them off medications as long as they do the rebalance phase and uh, are mindful of, of the things that cause changes in their mood. So uh, it is, there is definitely a place for medications in acute situations, certainly if you're not functioning and certainly if you're having suicidal ideations um, or psychosis. So, and there have been times when I've had to use medications, I use them a lot less um, than I used to, but I certainly use them. So there's a place for medications in an acute process, but if you're not acutely ill, uh, then the functional medicine approach is a wonderful approach. And some people can get at well in as little as three months, even if they've been suffering for years. Wow. Yeah. That's great. I, I really want to dig deeper into this um, because I think for some listeners, this is going to be brand new, this idea of looking at the stomach health rather than just relying on antidepressants to, to combat things like depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. But before we go to the break, can you let people know where they can learn more about um, your work and what it is that you do? Sure. Yes. Um, so I practice functional medicine in the state of Rhode Island. Um, uh, it's called functional mind and you can Google functional mind and I'm sure you'll find us that way. Um, but our website is www.f as in Frank, x as in x-ray, n as in Nancy, mind.com. I also have started an online health coaching program to dismantle depression uh, just a couple months ago. And uh, your listeners can link to that using the link, uh, go to the link, I guess, in your pages for the podcast to link on that and watch my free masterclass about dismantling depression. And uh, if they're interested in joining that online program, um, the uh, for you know treatment of depression, or I should say, uh, dismantling your depression, can't really treat people online, but uh, they're welcome to connect to me in that way as well. Great. And I would love to learn some more about that when we come back. We're talking to Dr. Achina Stein about why gut-brain health is a critical aspect of any self-improvement plan. Hang on and we'll be right back. Are you here to change the world? Do you talk about things like vibration, frequency, awakening, and consciousness? Are you pretty sure you have superpowers? The Superpower Net is unlike normal coaching programs and conscious communities. We provide training, intuitive guidance, peer-to-peer -peer learning, intensive one-on-one -on -one coaching, and a high vibrational network of people just like you. When you join the Net, you get 24-7 access to a collaborative group of people who support you as you master 
master your personal power and unlock your superpowers. If you are ready to use your superpowers to change the world, then join the Superpower Net today. Visit superpowerexperts.com slash the net to learn more. Welcome back, everyone. So my... What I, I guess what I don't understand and what I would love to understand a little bit more in very layman's terms is how does the gut impact the brain? How does the situation of the gut cause people to feel depression or anxiety? Uh, well, the gut absorbs your minerals, vitamins, and phytonutrients through the foods that you eat. So it's important for you to eat the foods that are high in nutrition, particularly greens and uh, a rainbow of foods. Um, The standard American diet is full of uh, processed foods. um, And many people in this country uh, in particular do not eat vegetables. Um, But it's, it's also the grains uh, in particular, uh, gluten-typed uh, grains and corn, soy, and dairy are highly inflammatory. The top set six are gluten, dairy, soy, corn, eggs, and nuts um, that are highly inflammatory. So initially, it's important to remove those types of foods uh, at least for 21 days and adding as many fruits and vegetables into your diet in order to see if uh, those are foods that are causing inflammation, but adding foods back in that have lots of healing properties. That's one piece of it. Uh, The other piece of it, I mean, it's, it's really multifactorial. So uh, meaning that there's, lots of different things that can go wrong that can affect the gut. For example, um, if you had a traumatic brain injury, having that hit to the head can actually shock the vagus nerve, which then paralyzes the gut. And that can slow down the gut motility um, and uh, create digestive issues. Um, There are also medications that impair the, you know, or interfere in your ability to um, release hydrochloric acid for, you know, all the proton pump inhibitors like, and uh, like uh, Prilosec and, and things like um, reflux medications like Zantac, they can really prevent you from excreting enough acid in order to digest your proteins. And you need enough acid in your gut, especially once it goes from the stomach through the pyloric sphincter, which is what connects the stomach to your small intestine. You have to have enough acid to be able to release uh, enzymes to digest your carbs and bile to digest your fats. So there's this whole coordination. It's like an orchestra, the way, the way your gut works. And if anything interferes in that orchestra from working in, in, in a rhythmic fashion, then it's going to prevent you from necessarily digesting your food appropriately in order to get those nutrients. 
and it's even just habits. You know, a lot of times people run from one place to the next, they vacuum down their food, and your gut doesn't even know that it's coming. So it, it's not prepared to even receive the food because if you're not smelling your food, you're not looking at your food, you're not preparing your body to receive that food uh, on a regular basis and it's just random, then those rhythms are kind of lost. And then it doesn't know when to release that acid and that those enzymes and the, the bile in order for it to coordinate with you putting in that food. Right. So, so there's a way in which that the slow, we, we've all heard to be more mindful of our food, but it's that we, we just won't digest it properly if we're, if we're not sitting down and eating mindfully and slowly. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, th those are just two things that I, that I can tell you about. I mean, there's others. I mean, stress, um, certainly you know, keeps people stuck sometimes in sympathetic mode, which is fight flight. And in order for you to digest your food, you have to be in parasympathetic mode, which is rest and digest. So if you're in high stress, you know, you, you're not going to be able to digest your food. And that's another reason why mindfulness and uh, before eating a meal is really, really helpful. So I actually people who are under high stress, I give them uh, eating meditation just to get connected to their food, but also to relax their mind and their body before they actually eat. Wow. Yeah. It, it sounds, so I guess if somebody is experiencing, you know, depression or anxiety and probably they're receiving treatment and not getting relief with anti um depressants or it's a very low level and they want to address it the first step is to remove inflammation so that sounds like it's a process of changing the food of changing how you eat are there tests and markers that you can look for also oh that, yeah absolutely i mean i mean there's there's a lot of testing that we can do uh you know we have at our practice, a, a 49 page intake. So depending on how people answer those questions, that will guide me to what testing is the most appropriate upfront because we don't do all the testing on everyone because that would be extremely expensive. So we'd sort of narrow it down to the things that are most important. So that would be blood work. And there's a variety of things that we can do in terms of doing blood work. But I generally do do a stool test on practically every single one of my patients. So um, I would say maybe there was five patients that I didn't do a stool test and probably regretted it. So, uh, but it, it, because you can't really know what's going on in the microbiome unless you actually do a stool test. And, uh, and the only way to really see if someone has any chronic gut infections is to do a stool test, which tells us a lot more about the lower gut, but the upper gut, we usually do an organic uh, organic um, acid test, which is, I don't know if you want me to tell you names of companies, but, um, but that's something that I typically do as well, along with the stool test. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You know, in my experience that there are, apparently there are different types of 
stool tests and or companies and some are more at least believed to be um, something like where they can tell you the DNA of toxins or parasites or they start to be much more um, discreet than and able to identify things than other tests. I mean, they do. I agree. Yeah. Some tests are, some stool tests are better, companies, I should say, are better at looking at malabsorption markers, um, bile salts, et cetera, but uh, others are better at finding parasites. So the DNA PCR testing that one company uh, does is really good for parasites. Okay. Uh, it, it is very hard to find them. They do a great job of hiding. So they cannot hide from DNA PCR testing. If it's on that test, they're there. So, um, so it depends. Uh, there are other companies that do stool testing that they basically look at uh, your, your, uh, your a specimen of uh, feces on a slide and they look for it on the slide. Well, it might not be on that slide, but it might be in the rest of right. of the sample. So uh, I, I feel like it's much more likely to find it through DNA PCR testing. And that's why we do. It's amazing how many times we find people with worms and um, parasites. Yeah. So would you say that that is, is common? Because we like, I, the way I think about it is we're, you know, we live in the United States, at least we do, and we don't have worms and parasites. Is that not true? No, that's not true. That is not true. <laughs> so there are, I, I, I see a lot of kids actually, you know, with um, worms in particular. So you get, the, our food is contaminated in so many ways. Our lakes are contaminated, our rivers are contaminated. So, you know, if you go to, uh, the beach or I mean actually I had one patient who surfed uh, on a daily basis and he actually surfed in the runoff of this company where it changed the temperature of the water uh, and he actually got C. diff from that so you don't normally think you'll get C. diff from water on the beach but just the place that he chose to surf was really contaminated. Um, but yeah, if you have a lake house or if you go camping and you swim in the river or you put your feet in the river, I mean, it, you can get these things. Now I'm not suggesting that you don't do that. Uh, it's just mm -hmm. that if you have a change in symptoms, then you, you have to start thinking, okay, where was I? What was I exposed to? You know, what did we do? And that's the kind of history that we actually ask. And not too many doctors do that. They don't ask about those kinds of things. And, you know, people are exposed to the outdoors all the time and go camping and hiking. And those are wonderful things to do, to be outdoors. But, you know, everyone now checks their body for ticks and if they get a rash or they feel different after that camping trip, it's like, Hmm, you have to sort of think about, okay, what did we do? What was I exposed to? You know? Wow. So if we have some listeners who are, um, you know, who are dealing with some, you know, depression or anxiety that goes on, what would be, I mean, other than checking out your course, which sounds like it could be very helpful in guiding through all this because this is so complicated, what what would you want them to look at maybe or to consider 
functionally in terms of starting to um, see whether they themselves are having issues that are caused by their gut? Well, I mean, looking at your bowel habits would certainly help. I mean, people should have at least one or two normal bowel movements and people don't really know what normal means. So a a normal healthy bowel movement is typically 80% of the time having a snake in the toilet. Now there are some people who are pretty squeamish and don't like to look in the toilet, Mm -hmm. but that is something you want to have, you know, a, a snake in the toilet that's brown and not floating. So if it's yellow or white, that's a problem with digesting fats. And, and releasing bile. Um, if it's lumpy or rocks, dark rocks, uh, you know, that sink in the toilet, um, either, you know, balls and, and you're straining yourself, then you're constipated. And you should have a bowel movement, you know, at least once a day. But uh, the healthiest is having it one to two times a day, you know. So, and right. it's... And it's generally having a bowel movement after, you know, after a meal. So, um, or it doesn't have to be after a meal, but you know that you have a healthy gastrocolic reflex, reflex um, after you, you eat and then you have a bowel movement. You'll find that people, lots of people do that, but some people just have a, you know, a regular time in the day that they have a bowel movement. So, but if you have gas or bloating, burping, passing gas, all of these symptoms, these are not normal things, but you'll find that so many people live with this and think that it's normal, but it's not. You shouldn't be having gas all the time, you know, or bloating after a meal or, um, you know, especially if it's foul smelling gas. Um, you really don't want to, you know, have those kinds of symptoms. So those are big clues, really huge clues, honestly, that something's going on in your gut that needs to be taken care of. That would be a reason for me to do a stool test. Okay. So that's really interesting. So what I suspect then is some people will start having these digestive um, symptoms and not really recognize because, you know, people, I don't think people think that much if they don't, go to the bathroom every day. Um, And how long does it take before you start noticing a difference in mood? You know, is it directly correlated? Does it take a while? You know, is there, is there any rule? Well, you know, again, it depends on um, what other issues are going on. So if it was just a gut problem uh, and it's straightening that out, it, it, and it's nothing else, like no stress. Um, if there um, was no exposure to like mold or you know some infection that can cause depression, then you know it doesn't really take that long. But you'll notice the way you know that things are getting better is just noticing that the gut is getting better, and the, it takes a little bit longer for the brain to heal because the brain is a lot more sensitive than the rest of your body. Um, and it does take some time for it to follow, but not that much longer. So like I say, it could be as little as three months. So some people, if they resolve their gut issues within the month, you know, within three months, it'll, the brain will follow. Um, but most people don't have just one issue. So it is, that's why I call it dismantling your depression 
because you have to find all the different things that can contribute to depression and dismantling them one at a time. And so it is having a plan in place to address each of those issues. It's kind of like being, you know, uh, Sherlock Holmes in figuring out all of those, all of those issues, but eventually you do get through all of them and address each one and little by little people do find that they get better. One of the questions um, that I'm wondering if the listeners might have is that if, you know, having heard this information from you and then they go talk to their doctor, this has been my own experience about could my food that I'm eating be causing this? I've been shut down. Like, no, this isn't your food. This isn't what you're eating. So what kind of doctor would you recommend that people try to find like that, that will deal with looking at the gut and the brain as a whole system? Well, um, I generally refer people to the Institute of Functional Medicine uh, physician or practitioner locator uh, on their website. They do have a practitioner locator and otherwise, depending on where you are, I mean, naturopaths, absolutely address these issues. Uh, They definitely see the connection between the gut and the brain and how food plays a part. Um, So they have training in these areas. Certain nutritionists have them, this type of training, and they call themselves functional nutritionists. Um, The uh, A4M, A4M, American Academy of Anti-Aging. There's four, A, four of those, M, I think it's .org or .com. They also uh, train functional medicine providers so they can, I don't know if they have a practitioner locator on their website uh, because I wasn't trained by them. I was trained through the Institute of Functional Medicine. Uh, but there, yeah, I agree with you that you do need to find someone who understands uh, and is trained appropriately in, in this uh, approach. Yes. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's been, um, in my own experience, a little frustrating or discouraging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I've got a kid who's got a lot of depression and food sensitivities and you go to the pediatrician and they say, are you drinking milk every day? <laughs> you really need to drink milk every day. Like, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, most physicians get no training in nutrition. Yeah. You know, and you know the fact that um, you can get your calcium in so many other ways than milk is not known, and <laughs> right. uh, there that and that. So there's pros and cons to all different kinds of foods. It's it's knowing what foods are appropriate for you. So, I mean, there are, you could, you could be sensitive to certain foods that are deemed healthy for the general population, but not necessarily good for you. So it is important to sort of personalize, get personalized care and not have this, you know, one, one size fits all type of approach. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, people don't necessarily get better, you know, when it comes to depression, because it really is looking at all the root causes and not just one. And, uh, you know, medication is a silver bullet approach uh, that, you know, doesn't work for most people. Right. 
So um, we are, we're almost out of time, even though there's so many more things we could go into. I, I wonder, is there, do you find that with, um, with people who are having impacts from gut in their brain where they're not absorbing, what kinds of nutrients are they often missing? Are they the precursors to dopamine and serotonin? Does it work that simply? Or, you know, do you supplement with any, um, you know, just targeted nutrients or does it just depend on the person? Uh, well, my first approach is to change the diet. In fact, I, I honestly don't take patients who aren't willing to make a change because so much can be resolved just by changing the diet. Um, but in, whoops, I heard a big ding. Sorry. We didn't hear it. So don't worry. Um, and there are, there are other issues uh, that are related to stress that can change hormones. So um, if you have uh, low levels or lower levels of cortisol, um, or I don't know if you're familiar with adrenal insufficiency and cortisol levels, you know, changing, changing your sleep patterns and, uh, supporting the adrenals and the thyroid and other hormones can affect the change in terms of neurotransmitters. So I guess to answer your question, I tend not to give, I personally tend not to give direct neurotransmitters because you know, the brain knows what it needs. And if you provide it the raw materials, it'll make its own neurotransmitters it's so I see it as a foundational approach and then if it's necessary depending on after we do the five R's if it's necessary to support dopamine production um, or um, serotonin production then I might add some of those uh, those um, precursors like 5-HTP but I, I tend to focus more on giving the raw materials and supporting the brain in other ways so that it can create its own neurotransmitters in the amounts that it needs personally for that particular person and go from there. Wow. So it, this is really such a, a, a puzzle. It is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. I can see how it would be hard, you know, for the medical profession as a whole to address it because you can't just say, just go do this necessarily. Right. Other than change your diet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, it's not just, I mean, I address, I address foods, infections, toxins, stress, and hormones. And um, it's, those are the five areas that I look into and there is a method it's just that you know it is going to be personalized to each you know depending on what their specific issues are and what they've been through and what they've been exposed to and their own habits you know so it's changing habits and you want to you know make it so that it fits their personality and their lifestyle. So it's not going to be, like I said, a one size fits all kind of approach. 
Right. Well, thank you so much for, you know, sharing the ideas and the of the types of lifestyle factors that are can contribute to depression and anxiety because I know that this is not something that's widely known yet is that our health really impacts our mental state absolutely yeah and that's why it's so important that we have this type of talk and I appreciate you having me on yeah thank you so much can you remind people again where they can learn more about you and um, your online course, you know, if this is something that you're interested in unraveling for yourself. Well, you can go to um, my website. It's www.f as in Frank, x as in x-ray, n as in Nancy, mind.com. I have a private practice uh, with my partner, Sally Davidson, who is also uh, a certified practitioner uh, through the Institute of Functional Medicine. She's a nurse practitioner. And uh, you can find us in Rhode Island, uh, East Providence, Rhode Island. And you'll have a link in the show notes, I'm hoping, uh, for my course uh, called Dismantle Your Depression. It's actually a free masterclass that leads you to a phone call that you can book with me to determine if you're a good fit for the course. Um, mm-hmm. Because you, you definitely have to have um, the desire to do certain things in order for, for these changes to happen in your life. It's not, it's not easy, but it's, it is something that some people would prefer to do than to take medications for the rest of their lives. And so I'm just offering another option. Great. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Listeners, thank you for being here, for wanting to learn how to improve your own lives. And until next time, go out and remember that you do hold the power to change and transform your world. Are you ready to discover your superpowers? Go now to superpowerexperts.com and take the superpower quiz today. 